Thank you for listening to Desert Spring United Methodist Sunday Sermon. We're glad you found us and that you chose to be part of our church. Online listeners, you are a significant part of our church community, and we're grateful you're with us. We hope you enjoy the sermon you're about to hear. If you would like to engage with our staff, we can be found on Facebook, Vimeo, and Instagram. Or call us at 702-256-5933. Well, today I'm continuing this series of sermons entitled Making Sense of the Bible. And last week, we began by talking about what the Bible is and what it means for it to be uh, inspired. And today we're going to focus our attention on the New Testament and kind of how it came to be, but also um, how it is that we know it to be a reliable witness to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like last week, this Sunday's sermon is a, pretty much a teaching sermon. So there's a lot of information that I'm going to be giving uh, throughout uh, the teaching of this. And this is all preparing us for what starts next week and the weeks that follow, when we're going to be taking a look at some of those passages of Scripture that leave us scratching our head and wondering, did Jesus really say that? Or maybe even thinking, no way did God say that. We're going to be wrestling with some of those kinds of passages starting next week. But for now, let's get started with a word of prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto thee, O Lord our God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So the New Testament is the uniquely Christian scriptures. It's 27 books in the New Testament. It's the last third of your Bible. In the New Testament, those 27 books, there are four Gospels. The Gospels are accounts of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is also one history. It's called the Book of Acts. And it's the history of the development of the early church. There's one apocalyptic writing, the Book of Revelation, at the very end of the New Testament. And then there's also 21 letters that were written by people like St. Paul, St. Peter, James and John and the like. The Bible, New Testament, was not written by Jesus. He didn't write any of those books. And when he came and, you know, proclaimed the kingdom of God is at hand and went around teaching and preaching after his resurrection and before his ascension, he instructed the disciples to go out and be his witness, to do the same thing he had done, to go around and to teach and to preach the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He did not instruct them to write anything down. So it was a pretty long period of time before anybody actually started writing the stuff down that now is in our New Testament. The oldest book in the New Testament was written by Paul. It's one of his letters, probably written in the year 48, about 18 years after the death of Jesus. It's called Galatians. It might also be 1 Thessalonians. They both were written at about the same time, written by Paul. Paul wrote letters from the year 48 until the year 65. He stopped writing at in the year 65 because he was beheaded for his faith. The other writers of the letters wrote during the same period of time, mostly in the 50s and the 60s, although one might have been written as late as the year 100. Each of the authors of the letters 
wrote them for a purpose. They wrote them to churches and more specifically to leaders in churches, people they knew that they had a relationship with. They wrote them to continue their teaching, to help them to understand what it means to live a Christian life, and to help them solve problems that were emerging within the faith community. So they wrote them for a reason. Now when you read the letters, it's sort of like reading somebody else's mail. And here's what I mean by that. If you were to write a letter to a good friend, you know, somebody you know and who knows you, well, you would write that letter for a purpose, as did the writers of the letters write them for a purpose to the churches. But because you know the person, you wouldn't have to say everything that needs to be said. Some things could be left unsaid. For example, let's say your good friend has a daughter named Mary, and Mary has been sick. You could write your good friend, and maybe you could ask, how is Mary your daughter? I hear she's been sick. Or you might just write, how's your daughter doing? And your friend would know what you're talking about. That's what happens in the letters that are written in the New Testament. They were written to people who already knew things, so Paul, for instance, didn't have to say everything. An example would be in 1 Timothy, where Paul writes to church and says that he forbids a woman to teach a man. The people in that church knew the women he was talking about. They knew their names. They knew what they had been doing and what they had been saying and probably even why he said it. But now us, 2,000 years later, well, it's like we're reading somebody else's mail. We don't know all of the backstory, And that makes it a little bit more challenging sometimes when it comes to the letters. There are some things in the letters that are easy to understand. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious, boastful, arrogant, or rude. There's one God. One faith, one baptism, one hope of our salvation, one Lord and Savior of us all. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. We're all one in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's some things in, that are easy to understand as we read through the letters. And then there are those passages that leave us scratching our heads because we don't have enough information to understand why it was said. And that requires us to really dig deep and to work hard if we're going to make sense if we're going to make sense of the Bible. Now, the first recorded book we have in the Bible is written in the year 48. But that's not the first things that people were writing. The apostles would travel about the country proclaiming Christ crucified, dead, buried, and risen from the dead. And they would tell stories about Jesus' life, and people would start writing those stories down. So there circulated early on in Christianity these stories of, that people had written af after having heard the apostles speak. These stories are mentioned at the in the very first chapter of the Gospel of Luke. The first actual gospel of kind of a full accounting of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus was the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark was written in the year 65. Mark was not an apostle of Jesus. He was a companion of Peter. 
In fact, he was Peter's interpreter. So Peter would say much to Mark, and Mark knew the stories of Jesus. Peter was crucified upside down in the year 65. And right about the time of his death, probably right after his death, Mark wrote down all the stories that Peter had told him. He's worked hard at making certain that he wrote them accurately, and there are secondary sources that help us to understand this. He worked hard to make sure he wrote them all out accurately, but he didn't worry about putting them in right chronological order. As you read through the Gospel of Mark, it doesn't take long to realize that this whole Gospel is leading you to the cross, and Mark wants us to know that if you're going to know who Jesus is, you have to spend time at the foot of the cross, understand what he has done at the cross to know who he is. Now, Matthew and Luke were written five to maybe eight years after the Gospel of Mark. And Matthew and Luke knew of Mark's gospel. In fact, they most likely had a copy of it sitting on their desk when they wrote theirs. Because everything that's in Mark's gospel is in Matthew and Luke. And probably they used Mark as kind of an outline for theirs. But both of them had something more they wanted to say than what Mark had said. And so both of them added stories, more accounts of what Jesus had done to their gospels. So Matthew and Luke are both longer than the Gospel of Mark. There are stories in Mark that are, I mean, in Matthew, <laughs> too many M's, there are stories in Matthew, okay? and then there are stories that are in Matthew and Luke that are not in Mark, and they call those Q. Okay? And those stories... Among those were those ones that were circulating, that were written before any of the gospel writers sat down to write theirs. Those ones that were circulating in the early church. The ones that Luke points to in the first chapter of his gospel. We call these the pre-gospels, stories people wrote that got collected. And some of those things got used by Matthew and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very similar when you read them. They're called the synoptic Gospels, because they're very similar. When you read through each of those three Gospels, it's not like you're hearing about a different Jesus each time. It's clear that in each one of those, you're hearing about the same Jesus. Just each one of them is kind of looking at him from a slightly different perspective and describing what they see. But together, they help us to get a clearer picture of who Jesus is, what he did, and what that means to our lives. The Gospel of John was written after the other three, probably around the year 90. Written by John the Beloved, one of Jesus' apostles, and he was the last living apostle when he wrote his. All the other apostles had been martyred, killed for their faith. John was the only one who was not martyred, but he was exiled to an island and he suffered greatly. He was in his 80s when he wrote the Gospel of John. And he would have known about Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And he had no reason to try to create another Gospel like those, you know, that, that kind of told a historical accounting of the things Jesus said and the things that he did. But he knew there was something more that needed to be said. And so in his Gospel, he set out to try to help us understand what it all 
means. John tries to help us understand what it means, what Jesus said and did and what it means. And so it's in, so it's in John that we hear, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life, what it means. It's there that we hear about this living water that we can drink from and never thirst again, what it means. And it's in John where we hear that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him, what it means, the Gospel of John. Now, there's two other books, the book of Acts, which is the history of the early church. It was written by Luke. It's the sequel to his Gospel, the Gospel of Luke. And it's wonderful to understand the early church. And then there's the book of Revelation. It's an apocalyptic writing describing Christ's return, and that's its own sermon. Okay. So, having taken you through the 27 books of the New Testament, how do we know that this is a reliable witness? 20, do the math here, 23 of the books are dependent upon the four Gospels, right? I mean, everything else that was written is dependent upon the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So how do we know the four Gospels are a reliable accounting of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus? And especially given that they were written so long after he died. Mark, some 35 years after he died. Matthew and Luke, 40, 45 years after he died. John, even further. How do we know they were reliable? Well, tell me. Does anybody here remember what you were doing when you first heard of 9-11? Some things get permanently etched in our brains, don't they? And they don't ever leave. So Jerry and I had our first date 41 years ago yesterday. So I was thinking, oh, I know. I was thinking about that yesterday. And I remember, I remember vividly when we first met in that first date, she was in the Campus Christian Center. I came walking in. She was in the office sitting behind a desk typing a paper for a friend. And I, I saw her sitting there, and I thought, hmm, she's kind of cute. <laughs> so, I, so I walked over, and I started a little conversation, and she said some things back, kind of encouraged me, I'd say. And, and so I talked a little bit more, and, and then she said some more things, and I started thinking, you know, I think she's flirting with me. So I kept talking, and she kept flirting, and I kept talking and talking some more and talking some more until I finally got up enough courage to say, would you like to go out on a date? And a short time later, that evening, we went out to see a Mel Brooks movie, High Anxiety. Okay? I remember. So yesterday, I asked Jerry if she remembers what happened on that day. And so she gave me her accounting of it, and much of it was the same. She was sitting behind a desk in the office of the Campus Christian Center typing a paper for a friend. When I came walking in, she said I was wearing blue shorts with white piping. Okay? I don't remember what she was wearing. Sorry. I was looking at that. Well, anyway. Oops. So... And she said, I started talking to her, and 
And she started talking back, and she started thinking, you know, I think he's flirting with me. And uh, and I kept talking, and she kept listening and talking, and then she started thinking, I think he's going to ask me out on a date. And then I kept talking, and I kept talking some more, and I kept talking some more, and she started thinking, I don't think he's ever going to get around to asking me out on a date. <laughs> and finally, she said, at 6.30, I asked her out on a date for a movie that started at 7 o'clock. <laughs> and so she rushed back to her dorm, got changed real quick, and Remember Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the Son of God. How could they ever, ever forget what he said and what he did? Those things would have been burned onto their minds. They could never have forgotten. Of course, they would be reliable witnesses. But then you add to that how so many years later, they each gave their testimony to what he said and did. And they were virtually the same, independently, giving their testimony about what this person had done 40 years before and the things they had to say were pretty much all the same. Of course it's a reliable testimony. But if that's not enough, if we take a look at the apostles themselves, Every one of them had the opportunity to recant their faith or die. And they chose to die rather than to deny the truth of any word that they spoke. Of course, they're a reliable witness. But if that's not enough, when we dare to read the Gospels, when we dare to, to read them with an open mind to ask, could it be that spirit that inspired their writing begins to inspire our hearing, and little by little, the stories start to become our stories. And as the stories become our stories, we are convicted and we are convinced of the truth of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, our Lord. They are a reliable source. So, as Christians, we read them. We read them. They help us to understand who God is, who we are, and what it means to live a Christian life. We, we read them. And I want to I want to challenge you right now. I'll give a challenge. First, I got to ask: Did some of you do homework last week? The read the the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, that's great. We got some people who read the Sermon on the Mount. So now I'm going to challenge you to read the Gospel of Luke, the whole thing, <laughs> the whole thing. But I'm going to give you four months. That's great. The whole thing, but four months to read it. Okay. It's 24 chapters, four months. That's like a chapter and a half per week, okay? But all of us as Christians, we need to spend time reading the Gospels and knowing these stories because there are stories. So, so take four months, read the Gospel of Luke. If you have a study Bible, use that. A study Bible has footnotes at the bottom. So if you get to, to some part where you just can't quite make sense of it, you can look and see what the notes say. Maybe that'll help you. If you don't have a study Bible but can, but can afford one, I'd encourage you to buy one. There's a lot of great ones. Or if you can't afford to buy one, we have Bibles in the Connection Center. Pick one up. If, we're, if we run out, just let me know. We're going to get some more. Okay, we want to make certain that you have a Bible. When you sit down to read, say a little prayer. Just ask the spirit that inspired the writing to inspire your understanding, to open your heart and mind to what the God would have to say to you this day. Say a little prayer. Get out your notepad or your journal and take notes as you read. 
Remember last week the assignment was to kind of envision a colander through which you would pour the word of God. That colander is the law of love. It's about loving God and loving each other, even as we know that God loves us. If we understand something contrary to God loving us or to us loving each other or even loving ourselves, we are probably getting it wrong. So you keep that in mind. But here's two additional questions to keep in mind. As you're reading, ask, what does this tell me about God? And ask, what does this tell me about who I am and how I am to live my life? And just take some notes as you read. It'll help you to focus your attention. We start with the Gospel of Luke because in Luke, Luke tells us right up front why he wrote the Gospel. So we would know the truth of Jesus Christ. That's why he wrote it. At the very end of the Gospel of John, John adds to that, that he wrote those words so that we would not just know the truth, but that so that we would come to believe in Jesus. And having come to believe, that we would grow in our faith, or in John's words, have life in him, in this Jesus, this Jesus who once said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength, and like that, love your neighbor as yourself, who said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, who said, come to me all who are heavy laden and I will give you rest, who said, you are the light of the world, you are the salt of the earth, who said, forgive as you have been forgiven, who said, you will be my witnesses and I will be with you always. And how do we know he said these things? It's in the book. It's in the book. Oh, give me that book, John Wesley once said. And now I say that. Give me that book. For in it contains the very words of life. Thanks be to God. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Desert Spring United Methodist Church. New sermons are posted weekly.